Accutan, Alaska holds a special place in the hearts of the Trident family. Chuck literally took dynamite to the side of a mountain to build this remote and self-reliant plant. Its ideal proximity to the Bering Sea fishing grounds has helped it to become the largest seafood production facility in North America. At peak season, we house more than 1,400 employees and are able to sustain a year-round operation that is capable of processing more than 3 million pounds of raw fish per day. Wild Alaska Pollock, the most abundant certified sustainable fishery on the planet, is the primary focus of this operation. But the plant also processes significant volumes of Pacific cod, Alaska king and snow crab, halibut, and other important species. In addition to traditional boxed and frozen seafood items, the plant has increased its capacity to produce surimi and recover large volumes of secondary products, including pollock roe, fish meal, my personal favorite, fish oil, and other specialty products that contribute to Trident's goal of fully utilizing every part of every fish that's delivered. Listen in to learn how we almost lost this significant piece of our story when the fire at Accutan occurred in the summer of 1983. Chapter 23, Fire at Accutan, A Twisted Mass of Mess. By the spring of 1983, Trident's shore-based operation on the island of Akatan was running full bore. Though construction of the plant had begun two years earlier, delays prevented production of salted cod products until June of 1982. By that time, Trident had signed a contract with the Alaska Fisheries Development Foundation to conduct a model whitefish project to determine whether a large, modern shore-based processing facility could produce high volumes of marketable product at a profit. The plant's main building, at the water's edge, was 55,000 square feet and sat on a concrete slab with plate freezers, a blast freezer, and three large cold storage rooms at one end. In addition to a variety of machinery for processing crab and splitting and filleting cod, the main floor of the building housed refrigeration compressors, diesel generators, boilers, heat exchangers, air compressors, hydraulic pumps, and the like. Upstairs, there was an office, a shipping and receiving room, restrooms, a coffee room, a net shop, a retail store, an infirmary, and various storage rooms for cardboard cartons and plastic liners. Outside the main plant, there was a separate cod house, specifically designed for salting and storing salt cod and filatoni. On the grassy flat beyond the cod house were scores of wooden racks used to dry unsalted cod fillets for stockfish. A series of pole A-frames supported rows of wooden planks that held and separated the fish. Pairs of butterfly cod were tied together at the tail by loops of twine and draped over the long planks for air drying. Workers were housed in three bunkhouses, one of which had a mess hall attached to it with an apartment upstairs. There was also a separate machine shop, a modest storage warehouse, and an ice house. By March of 1983, the production kinks had been ironed out. Trident's fleet of trawlers was up to speed harvesting cod near Unimac Pass, and the processing crew was fully trained. Operating at full capacity, 
the plant was producing 200,000 pounds of finished product each day. Large fish were split for salt cod. Medium-sized fish were filleted for filatoni, and small fish were hung on the racks to dry for stockfish. As spring turned into summer and cod fishing tapered off, the plant was shifting its focus to early season salmon. Then something went terribly wrong. As Diane Bundrant recalled, it was June 9, 1983, and Akatan was processing salmon from False Pass. I'd been in the office working, and Chuck was really sick, down with a cold and flu that had almost everybody sick there. He'd been inside resting, and it was getting close to dinner time. He was in an apartment that was located above the galley at the time, and I went over to see how he was doing. I started hearing strange noises like yelling that just didn't fit with the normal humming of the place. I looked out, and I remember that Selma Alby was wearing a red sweater that day, and she was out on the roof next to the office. I remember being puzzled, and I even said aloud, Why is Selma on the roof? Then I started seeing smoke and said, Oh my God, Chuck, there's smoke. There's not much that puts Chuck down, but he was really sick with a fever. Sick or not, he jumped right up and we went running to the office. Selma had been driven out by the smoke, and somehow she'd managed to get down. But by then, all hell had broken loose. We had about 250 people working in the plant, and everybody manned pumps and hoses to do what they could. We called in boats, and they started pouring water onto the flames, but it was very difficult to fight. It had started in the back of the building, and it just kept marching forward. They were spraying tons of water on it, but it was going through cardboard and stockfish and all kinds of stuff that was just like tinder. It just kept marching its way toward the office, and it was dark by the time it got there. I was having heart failure thinking about all the fishermen's records that were filed there. We did everything by hand back then. The fishermen's information was kept in file folders. The paperwork was stored in file cabinets, and I was in charge of all of it. The guys fought the fire all night. We had boats coming in to provide temporary food and shelter, and some people were planning an evacuation of the village. I remember there was a drunk guy who was yelling, we gotta get out of here, we gotta get out of here. Around one or two o'clock in the morning, the Royal Viking came in. Chuck was on the beach fighting the fire, and Gogan Nilsson and his wife Gunfried were aboard. She and I were making sandwiches because we'd evacuated everyone from the plant who wasn't involved in the fighting of the fire. She was boiling coffee in a giant pot on top of the stove, trying to make enough for everyone. I remember Chuck coming in to lie down for an hour. Then he got up and went back to fighting the fire. There was lots of thick smoke and flames, and almost everyone fighting the fire was also fighting this respiratory thing that was going around. It was awful. We had everything stored in that building. We had the cold storage freezer. We had fishing gear for our boats. We had all the supplies for production. We had a small grocery and supply store for the crew. The smoke was awful. When it got light, we could see that the plant was just a twisted mass of mess. It was all melted down, still smoldering and popping up flames. The Coast Guard didn't show up, and we had no help other than what we had ourselves. I remember, it was the funniest thing, Bart Eaton was on his way over to Akatam with some used file cabinets and desks. He wasn't part of Trident yet, but he'd been tendering for us, and somebody was giving office furniture away cheap in Dutch Harbor. It was a great find the day before. 
But by the time he got to Akatan, there was no building. We'd needed the cabinets and desks because our operation had been growing so fast at Akatan, but we didn't need them anymore. I was still worried about all that paperwork in the office. It was the only way we knew how much money we owed to our fishermen. Anybody who was delivering to the plant had a file, and it would have been impossible to reconstruct. Luckily, when we finally got into the office, we found that only one drawer had burned. The files in that one particular drawer weren't packed in very tight, so the heat was able to light it off. Just the tops of the other files were singed, but they were wet. Back then, we used NCR paper for copies, and when it got wet, it turned blue, and all the writing would disappear. So we set up a temporary office in the apartment above the galley, and actually burned out a few hair dryers, drying all of these sheets of paper. Fire investigators eventually determined that the fire had been caused by an overheated ballast in a light fixture, which dripped flaming material onto a stack of cardboard. But there was no time for Chuck and Diane to sit and ponder the consequences of the loss. The Alaska salmon season had already begun, and nothing was going to hold back the flood of sockeye headed toward Bristol Bay. So they left the smoldering mess that had once been the plant at Akatan and moved Trident's in-season headquarters to Dillingham on the Nushagak River. Bristol Bay was the next stop in the summer cycle, and their next mission was to direct Trident's fleet of floating salmon processors and tenders to make the best of it. It was later that month, Diane recalled, and I was listening to KDLG radio. We always had KDLG on, and the news announcer said, Trident Seafoods is being fined $10 million by the Environmental Protection Agency. I remember shouting, what? Because we hadn't heard anything about it. I knew I had to tell Chuck, but he was out flying. I had to wait until he got back because you don't discuss things like that on the VHF. It was unbelievable. As it turned out, the proposed fine wasn't a direct result of the fire and smoke. Instead, it was the cleanup effort at Akatan that drew the EPA's attention. Following Alaska's standard operating procedures to get her done, the crew at the plant had made swift work of the debris by utilizing the company bulldozer to push it off the slab into Akatan Bay. Nobody had worried about obtaining the appropriate federal permits until the fine was announced and Ernesta Barnes, Region 10 Administrator for the EPA, showed up at Akatan to survey the damage. Bundrant flew from Bristol Bay to meet her. Apparently, she was sympathetic to Bundrant's story. As he recalled years later, there was a young attorney in the office who was trying to put me out of business, but I knew it was going to be okay when she put her hand on my knee and said, it's going to be all right, Chuck. We had to push more fill in to cover the debris, but we never had to pay a fine. Bundrant dodged a $10 million fine from the EPA and collected a similar amount of money that had insured the Akatan plant. He was eager to get his company back on track, and he didn't waste any time picking up the check. That was back when the interest rate was 22%, Diane recalled, so Chuck sent me to Los Angeles to go pick it up. He didn't want it to sit someplace over the weekend in the mail without earning interest. They didn't have FedEx or anything like that at the time. Of course, the insurance company wanted to hang on to it as long as they could to get their float. But Chuck wanted his float, too. So he bought a cheap round-trip ticket, and I stayed with an aunt and uncle in Anaheim. The insurance company was in Newport, and my aunt drove me down. They wanted to see my ID, and they thoroughly checked me out 
and they were wondering why I'd come down to pick it up in person. But they gave it to me, and I flew back in time to go straight to the bank and deposit it Friday afternoon. The interest was worth about $6,000 a day, and that was a lot of money. As Diane recalled, the money in the bank was a lot of money too, and the partners at Trident had a gut-wrenching decision to make. Shall we rebuild the plant or take the money and run? Prior to building the shore plant at Akatan, Trident had been a highly mobile company that could move its assets to follow crab, herring, and salmon, wherever they might be. The Akatan plant was a departure from the early model, and while its location was ideal for taking advantage of the new groundfish opportunities in the Bering Sea, the market realities were lagging behind Trident's harvesting and processing capacity. Bundrant was still battling the Portuguese to make good on their promise to buy millions of pounds of salt cod the plant had produced, and viable markets for pollock fillets and surimi were barely on the radar. The cash in the bank was a bird in the hand, and a fresh chance to walk away from the rubble and the risk. As he'd demonstrated in the past and would continue to do in the future, Bundrant rallied his partners and pushed the throttles forward. He had one direction and one speed. It was really phenomenal when you think about it, Bundrant recalled. Once we decided to do it, the plant was back up and running in less than a year. We built it all back up from scratch in record time. that you enjoyed chapter 23 the fired Accutan. don't forget to subscribe so you can be the first to know when our next episode acquisitions of the 80s is released on wednesday september 16th we appreciate you joining us and we hope that this adventure inspires you to catch your own deck load of dreams mm-hmm.